so we're in a series this summer called Super Summer. And our theme in the sanctuary here as we're going through the Word of God is DC. DC, discovering Christ. Amen? Now, how many of you grew up with some DC comics as a kid growing up? Anybody? Superman, Batman, Flash, any of those? Some of you have some favorites? Absolutely. I used to enjoy, I loved Superman. I thought he was the coolest because he came with the cape until I later watched The Incredibles and realized how many superheroes died because of capes. So I got really nervous for him, but he's okay. He's a man of steel, so I think he'll be all right. But I want to not focus so much on relating superheroes to the series. Really, the DC is kind of the, the overall connection for us when it comes to the superhero theme. Although all summer our kids and our youth and we're gonna have some fun ideas and activities going on in our super summer. But I wanna to talk to you about the DC part, the uh, discovering Christ part. I really felt this entire summer, the Lord wanted us to focus on discipleship here as a body, church body. Um, Maria asked me the other day, she said, how does DC relate into this is who we are, this is what we do? And in response, I said, we are a Christ church, amen? We are a Christ-focused, Jesus-centered church. This is who we are. And this is what we do, is we're a discipling church, amen? I was flipping through Facebook a couple days ago and I was watching all these churches um, and their topics and their series, and it's wonderful. I love seeing what other churches are doing, but I did see, I believe, there is a void, there is a space that is needed in this generation to where churches are talking more and more about Jesus. We need more churches talking about Christ in this season. I love talking about marriage. I love talking about family. All those things are important. I love talking about raising kids. I love so many things, love and goodness and all these things that are great, even cultural changes that are going on. Churches are involved in all kinds of conversations. But for where we're going right now, Calvary, I really feel as if God wants us to go heavy, heavy, heavy into discipling people into Christ. You are a disciple of Christ first. Amen? Disciples of Christ. And so if we can kind of in the next eight weeks envision this room as a large classroom, and those of you at home that are watching online as a large classroom, this is what we do. We disciple people into becoming disciples of Christ. So I want to lead you into eight weeks of discussion and teaching about who is Jesus Christ? Who is Christ? And by doing that, you become really familiar with the language, with the stories, with the ideas, with the faith behind it, with the theology behind it, because then you can teach somebody else. Disciples, discipling others, amen? And so I hope you take a lot of notes. I hope that you get some revelation over the next eight weeks. I hope that faith rises because this is your foundation. You are a follower of Jesus Christ. You know, we call ourselves Christians and so many people don't even know what that means. They think that means you go to church. No, it means you follow Christ. Amen? And so that's where we're going over this DC summer, discovering Christ. So let's discover some new things about Christ starting today. Today, I want you to focus in on discovering Christ as the Lamb of God. Christ as the Lamb of God. We have Bibles for you, by the way, if you're a guest today and you don't have a Bible with you, if you would like a, a real Bible, there's some in the middle, some on the sides. And there's notebooks for everybody as well. Please take notes. Please write down the scriptures or key things that stand out in the message. You will not remember everything. Write it down and go back through it this week. You can do it in your prayer times, your Bible study times. And the more you look at it, the more revelation you're gonna get on each of these topics. 
So today I want to talk to you about discovering Christ as the Lamb of God. Open up your Bibles to the book of John, chapter 1. John, chapter 1. That's the New Testament. If you're new to your Bible, the Bible's broken into an Old Testament and a New Testament. You can look in the table of contents. The book of John, chapter 1. Have you found it? Let's look at verse 29. We'll start there. So in the beginning of the Gospels, which are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, for those of you, again, new to the Scriptures, there's a figure named John the Baptist. He is Jesus, Jesus' cousin, okay? Uh, maybe second cousin, but they're related. And so somehow we don't know the story of Jesus growing up as a young boy. We don't know his interactions with John. Uh, maybe his, at family gatherings or Passover meals, if they ever really ran into each other. But John became a prophet. He became the final prophet of the Old Testament and kind of a transitional prophet, kind of getting people ready for the New Testament and what would be happening, okay? So he was kind of a transitional figure, John the Baptist. Now this is not John the Beloved or John the Beloved, however you want to say it. Sometimes it's more spiritual to say Beloved. Anyways, John the Disciple was different, okay? Sometimes people get those two confused, John the Baptist, John the Disciple. John the Baptist was the one the Bible talks about that was dressed in camel hair, that was eating locusts and honey. Yum. He was baptizing people, getting them ready for the coming of the Messiah, who was Jesus coming to fulfill the promises that God had made throughout the Old Testament. Okay, that's the word Messiah, the, the rescuer, the savior, the, the anointed one, okay? And so John the Baptist has been baptizing people in the Jordan River, getting them ready, just a baptism of repentance, get right with God, get right with God, get right with God, because he knew something was coming, he knew something big was coming, and he was saying, get right with God, get right with God, get right with God, and then people would be water baptized in the Jordan River. Verse 29, the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Write that down and underline it in your Bible. I want you to see that the Lamb of God and the responsibility of what the Lamb comes to accomplish is to remove sin, to take away sin. Amen. And it's for the whole world, praise God. Anyone who lives in this planet, who's been born upon this planet, the, that Lamb, Jesus the Lamb, has come to remove their sin from them, to take their sin away. Amen. Amen. Behold, the Lamb of God, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He is the one I was talking about when I said, a man is coming after me who is far greater than I am, for he existed long before me. I did not recognize him as the Messiah, but I have been baptizing with water so that he might be revealed to Israel. So John was saying, I did not know or see or understand that Jesus was the Messiah. But I've been baptizing in this moment, what he's saying in this moment, I realize that all these baptisms I've been doing has been to prepare people for him. Has been to get them ready because he's the one that was coming, right? And remember, John was probably aware of Jesus because they were related, but he didn't see Jesus as the lamb. He didn't see him as the Messiah up until this moment. This is what we would call a moment of revelation. A moment where Jesus moved from one place in John's mind to the right place in John's mind, to the highest place in John's eyes. He saw it, he saw it. I did not recognize him as the Messiah, 
I've been baptizing with water so that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John testified. He said, I, I saw the Holy Spirit descending like a dove from heaven and resting upon him. I did not know he was the one. He says it again. But when God sent me to baptize with water, he told me, the one on whom you see the Spirit, capital S, that's the Holy Spirit, descend and rest is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. So Jesus is the baptizer of the Holy Spirit, by the way. Okay? He's the one that gives the gift and the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I saw this happen to Jesus, so I testify that he is the chosen one of God. The next day, the following day, John was again standing with two of his disciples. Jesus walked by, and John looked at him and declared, Look, or behold, there is the Lamb of God. When John's two disciples heard this, they followed Jesus. They followed Jesus. So the first thing that happens in this passage of Scripture is John has a revelation of Jesus Christ being the Lamb of God. And what does that mean? The Lamb has come to take away the sins of the world. The Lamb of God, this Lamb, is the solution to the sins of the world and the problem of sin in the world. He has a personal revelation of Jesus as the Lamb. The next day, now that he's had a personal revelation of Jesus Christ the Lamb, he can then point other people to Jesus being the Lamb of God. Do you see that? He told his two disciples, he said, look, behold, see what I've seen. Understand what now I understand. This Jesus is the chosen one of God. This Jesus is the Lamb of God we've been waiting for. This Jesus is God's solution to sin. Amen. And so he then tells his disciples, and then they get the opportunity to go and follow Jesus. So that's our prayer today, that you would see Jesus discover Christ as the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world for you first. That you see him as God's solution to remove your sin. The Bible tells us that all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You know, and that's not to humiliate you and that's not to embarrass you, but that's for us to identify that we have a need. We need forgiveness. We need a savior. A sinner cannot cleanse themselves of sin. Dirty hands cannot wash themselves clean. We need an outside cleansing agent. We need the blood of Jesus. We need the blood of that lamb, that sacrifice. Amen. Too many times, people are trying to clean themselves up. My friend, you cannot do it. In steps the chosen one, the Messiah, the Lamb of God. He will take away your sin. He will remove it as far as the east is from the west. And this is for your sin, my friend. See, when John finally saw Jesus for who he was, he could receive him personally as his Messiah, as the Lamb for his sins. Amen? Then he could eagerly and enthusiastically say, look, friends, look, fellow co-laborers, look, my disciples, that's God's solution. Here it is. Go follow him. And there's an eagerness and there's an enthusiasm that comes when you get a revelation for yourself that Jesus is the Lamb of God. Sometimes we're not telling other people that Jesus is God's solution for their sin because we don't have a revelation of Jesus being the solution for sin. 
We've heard it, it's cloudy, it's out there. We know it's kind of a prophetic thing that the Old Testament talked about. We've heard it here and there. But one day, and I pray it's this day, your eyes are opened and you behold or look. There he is. Jesus might have passed by you a thousand times, but today is a day of revelation understanding. Today is a day that the scales fall from your eyes and Jesus goes from just being a church figure to being the Lamb of God that takes away your sin and the sins of the world. And then you sit there and say, I am forgiven of sin. I am washed and cleansed. It feels good to be forgiven, to be released from my past. I am going to heaven. My name is written in the Lamb's book of life. And that enthusiasm becomes natural and normal. And you can't stop yourself from pointing other people to the same freedom, the same solution to the sin problem of the world. You're like, look, there he is. It came out of a place of joy from, from John. It was an obligation. It was, I saw something. I've received something and you need what I have received. We've been waiting for him. There's people in this world that have been waiting for Jesus for a long time, but they need someone to see him first so that they can say, this is the one you've been looking for. This is the one you've been looking for. I saw him, I see him, I've beheld him. He is the Lamb of God and he is the Lamb of God for me and he can be the Lamb of God for you. Amen. Discovering Christ. This world walks by Jesus because they don't see him. They don't know who he is, but it takes people first seeing him for themselves and then pointing him out to other people. Sometimes we skip that step. We want you to point him out to other people, but the failure is that you haven't seen him for yourself. But when you behold the Lamb of God, when you see Jesus and you get a revelation of who he is, it just comes out. It's just the solution that people are looking for. He's the answer, amen. Let's talk about this idea of the Lamb. Write this verse down just for future reference. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7. Just refers to Christ as the Passover lamb. We're gonna talk about that in a minute, the Passover lamb. What's this expression, the lamb of God? The lamb of God had a purpose, but I wanna talk about the size of the lamb in a heavenly vision real quick. The heavenly vision of the lamb, Revelation chapter five. Can we get into the book of Revelation for a minute? Come on, somebody. Too many times we avoid the book of Revelation because we think it's the book about the Antichrist. My friends, the book of Revelation is not a book about the Antichrist, it's a book about Jesus Christ. And he is the victorious one. He is the soon coming king, amen. He is the alpha, the omega, the beginning and the end. He's the rider on the white horse. He's the one that holds the scrolls in his hand. He's the one that writes in the book of life, amen. He's the one on the Bema seat, amen. amen. Praise God. That's not a book about the Antichrist. He's a side character. This is the story of the final conclusion, the grand finale of Jesus Christ. Amen. Revelation chapter 5, talking about the Lamb, the vision of the Lamb. Let's look at verse 5. I added a few verses. I got a lot of Bible for you today. Verse 5, let's start there. John, real quick, because some of you don't know what the book of Revelation is. John the Beloved, right? John the Beloved, the disciple of Jesus. Now, not John the Baptist, the disciple of Jesus, who wrote 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, wrote the book of Revelation, the book of John. He was banished to an island called Patmos because they couldn't kill him. He was going around testifying about Christ and they tried to kill him. 
they were able to kill other of the disciples and they thought we're just gonna kill John as well. And they threw him into boiling oil from my understanding and he didn't boil. <laughs> and so they sent him to an island by himself to die on an island. Now, other later church writings and fathers actually write that John finally came back from the island of Patmos. But he didn't know that, he was, he was banished there. And on this island, he had a revelation. He saw the end of all things. He saw, he saw the current reality of the church, he saw the future reality of the church, and the coming of Christ, and the workings of Christ, and the Antichrist, and all those things. And so this is John receiving this revelation. So he's seeing things on earth, and he's seeing things in heaven. He's seeing things to come, and he's seeing things that are. All right, so this is where we are with John. This was part of his revelation. Verse 5. It says, well, th there was a scroll, basically, uh, that was handed in the right hand of the one who was sitting on the throne, the Bible says. And everyone was interested in the scroll being opened, but nobody could open the scroll, right? So the Bible says in verse 4 that John began to weep bitterly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll and read it. But one of the 24 elders said to me, stop weeping, look, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the heir to David's throne, has won the victory. He is worthy to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb. Notice the elder, one of the 24 elders called him the lion, and then the Bible says, and then the lamb. Because he is the lion and the lamb. Amen. Amen. I want to show you that, I want to say that, because the idea of lamb isn't one of weakness. The, 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 the expression or the title, the Lamb of God, wasn't because of his weakness. The Lamb of God title was because of his mission. Some people think, oh, he was meek and mild like a lamb. No, he's the lion of the tribe of Judah. The lamb title had nothing to do with being meek or being weak, I should say. He was meek. We know that. He was, he was strength under control. We get that. But he wasn't weak. The title, the lamb, had to do with his assignment, what he was called to do, to be the Passover lamb, the sacrifice to take away the sins of the world. Are you understanding that? So he's the lion, but he's also the lamb. Then I saw a lamb that looked as if he had been slaughtered, but it was now standing between the throne and the four living beings and among the 24 elders. He had seven horns and seven eyes, which represented the sevenfold spirits of God that is sent into every part of the earth. He stepped forward and he looked, he took the scroll from the right hand of the one sitting on the throne. So he took the scroll from the right hand of the one sitting on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living beings and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp and they held golden bowls filled with incense, which are their prayers, the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song with these words. You are worthy to take the scroll, to break its seals and open it. For you were slaughtered and your blood has ransomed people for God. From every tribe, every tribe, every tribe. I love that. It's, it's not one part of the earth or one group of people or one race. Every tribe, every language, and people, and nation. And you have caused them to become. Think about that. They don't cause themselves to become. 
The lamb causes you to become. Well, what have we become? What is the lamb causing us to become? A kingdom of priests for our God. And they will reign on the earth. Some translations actually say, and they are reigning on the earth. Sometimes we push off that reigning to a future day. But my friend, you are today the sons and daughters of God. You today have the authority of heaven and your lips. Your prayers move mountains. You set up kings and you tear down kingdoms based on the will of God and your prayers. So we sometimes, I think, too much put off your priestly assignment and your reigning to a future day because the devil knows if you found out you could reign today, that's the scariest thing in he could imagine is that the sons and daughters of God are manifested into the earth as, as those with authority. Amen. But that's a sermon for another day. Then I looked again and I heard the voices of a thousand and millions of angels around the throne and of all the living beings and the elders. And they sang out in a mighty chorus, worthy is the lamb who was slaughtered to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth, in the sea, and they sang, blessing and honor and glory and power belong to the one sitting on the throne and to the lamb forever. And the four living beings said amen, and the 24, and the 24 elders fell down and worshiped the lamb. Can you see that picture? Sometimes we just get this idea, like Jesus, we get that image of Jesus, like as this little cutesy little lamb. And my friends, every creature on hev in heaven and on earth, every created being, they are throwing their crowns down at his feet. They are bowing down before him. And they're saying to the lamb, Be, you are worthy of glory and honor and power forever. You are worthy, you are worthy, you are worthy. Sometimes we just don't have this, this, these eyes to see it, that Jesus high and lifted up. We have these little Sunday school drawings of Jesus in our mind and, and people pass by him like you're just passing by the character on the flannel graph. And they just take him or leave him. My friend, he is the lamb worthy of honor and praise. He is the, the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Every creature on the planet in heaven and on earth know who he is and can see him. And they bow down and they worship him. Why? Because he was the lamb that was slain. But basically the reason that happened why he's being celebrated is because he made it possible for every tribe, every tongue, every human being on the face of the earth to be washed and cleansed and being forgiven of their sins, giving them access to God, giving you access to eternal life, giving you access to authority over the devil. He accomplished, he accomplished something great. And no human being who's ever lived could accomplish it. It took God putting on flesh to do this work. And he did it. It is done. It's not going to be done. It is done. It's already done. It's already done. And so today it's just about you seeing him in his glory, seeing you, seeing him as the lamb for your life and saying yes. It's saying yes. Amen. Again, I say he's the lamb of God, not because he's weak, but because of his assignment to be slaughtered, to be killed in our place. 
Revelation chapter 13, verse 8, you can just write it down for later, just talks that the book of life belongs to the Lamb. The book of life belongs to the Lamb. The book of life is where your name gets written when you give your life to Jesus Christ. It's the name in that book is every name that will live in eternity with God into his future eternity. Isn't that wonderful? But let me tell you, who doesn't get control of that book? The devil. The devil doesn't own that book. That's the book of life, and it's in the hands of the Lamb of God, who was slain for you, who was sacrificed for you. That book is in his hand. Amen? And when you accept him as your sacrifice for your sin, when you accept him as God's, God's substitute for your sin and ransom for your sin, he writes your name in that book of life and he holds it tight. Isn't that awesome? Open your Bibles to the book of Isaiah, chapter 53. Can I read to you another lengthy passage of scripture? Isaiah, chapter 53. Let's talk about the lamb and let's look at this, what I said. It's not because he's weak but because of his assignment. Isaiah chapter 53. I'm going to read you a whole chapter of the Bible. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that awesome that I I don't just give you just one little verse and then just give you like an hour of my opinion? Can't we just get into the Word and let God talk to you in every single verse? Can we be a church that just loves? You just say, give me more of that. Just give me more of that Bible. Give me more of that Bible. I want to eat it up. I'm just going to eat that steak dinner. I'm going to eat that Word. Amen? This is the mission of the Lamb. Isaiah 53. Who has believed our message? To whom has the Lord revealed his powerful arm? I love that powerful arm. My servant grew up. This is talking about Jesus now. Talking about Christ. My servant grew up in the Lord's presence like a tender green shoot, like a root in dry ground. There was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance. Nothing to attract us to him. This is talking about Jesus' earthly life. Now, I love this because it's so counterculture. Because so many times, even us pastors and preachers fall into the trap of needing, wanting to look cool enough or be attractive enough. And there's nothing wrong with, with having good looks. I mean, come on, you know what I'm saying? Right? I mean, it's not a sin, you know what I mean? <laughs> Anyways. But you don't rely on those looks. Because they fade, my friend. You don't rely on coolness. You don't rely on those things. The Bible says there was nothing super attractive or something that would cause people to say, wow. But yet he was the savior of the world. Amen. Some of the most powerful churches in the earth and some of the most powerful Christians in the earth on the outside, they don't look like much. But if you were to see them with the eyes of the spirit, if you were to see them with the eyes of God, they look like the most beautiful places in the face of the earth. They look like generals and kings and queens on the planet. Sometimes we're too enamored with people's outward appearance. See what I'm saying? There was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance, nothing to attract us to him. He was despised and rejected. A man of sorrows, acquainted with the deepest of grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. Isn't it amazing that Jesus fulfilled his mission and nobody was applauding him along the way? Nobody was thanking him for being the sacrifice. Nobody was thanking him for being the lamb. See, we assumed it was his burden and his problems, but the Bible says in verse 4, yet it was our weakness 
that he carried. It was our sorrows that he carried. The lamb carried your burdens and your sorrows. The lamb carried your weakness. The lamb isn't weak. He's strong enough to carry your weakness. Do you see this? He's mighty. Amen. He carried our weakness. He carried our sorrows that weighed him down. We thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion. He was crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be made whole. And again, I'm pointing this out to you. Nobody thanked him or applauded him along the way. This was a mission between him and God. And he fulfilled it all the way through. People accused him that he was being punished for his, for his failure, for his sin. It wasn't his sin that put him on the cross. It was ours. Are you understanding this? But people didn't see it. They didn't behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. How many of us don't see Jesus for what he's actually done for our lives, to, to being that solution, the one that has removed our sins, that carried our griefs, that carried our sorrows? Everything Jesus did was not about him. It was about you and me. Do you see this? His victory wasn't even about him. It was for your victory. He already had victory. He gave it up and took on this form because you didn't have victory. Are you understanding this? He was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be made whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us like sheep have strayed away. We have left God's path to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. The Lord laid on him the sins of us all. He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was led away like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep is silent before the shearers, he did not open his mouth. Unjustly condemned, he was led away. No one cared that he died without descendants, that his life was cut short in midstream. But he was struck down for the rebellion of my people, not for his rebellion. He had done no wrong. He had never deceived anyone, but he was buried like a criminal and he was put in a rich man's grave. But it was the Lord's good plan to crush him and cause him grief. I want to point this out real quick to those of you new to the Bible. This was written thousands of years before Jesus actually walked the earth and did this. This is what prophecy is. This is God speaking with perfect accuracy what was going to happen to the Lamb. Do you understand this? You can read it now looking back saying, wow, I mean, that sounds like Jesus. <laughs> but these things were orchestrated of God so that when they happened, you knew this was a work of God, not a work of man. Yet when his life was made an offering for sin, he will have many descendants. You and I are one of them. He will enjoy a long life and the Lord's good plan will prosper in his hands. When he sees all that is accomplished by his anguish, he will be satisfied. And because of his experience, my righteous servant will make it possible for many to be counted righteous 
for he will bear all, all, all of their sins. But what about my deepest, darkest, secret one? He bore that one too. What about the one that is so bad, I can't even speak of it. I, I, I pray no one finds out about it, my friend. When you confess your sin before God, is not when he finds out about it. He was there when you did it. And he says, I even bore that one. I even bore that one. And the reason he brings it to your remembrance isn't to embarrass you, but to say, I can even cleanse you of that one. Of that one. Of that one. Well, maybe the lying and maybe that I had a bad day, but not this really perverse one. No, even that one. Even that one. Amen. I will give him honors and as a victorious soldier because he exposed himself to death. He was counted among rebels. He bore the sins of many and he interceded for rebels. That's us. Isn't that awesome? So I want to talk to you about the lamb real quick and use this illustration. You might have seen him a few months ago back in October, I think, or November, I used this illustration. But I want you to see, this is Lammy, by the way. The Lamb of God, the Lamb of God, the assignment. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Remember what I said, 1 Corinthians talks about Jesus, our Passover Lamb. This idea, this language of the Lamb goes all the way back into the Old Testament. It goes all the way back to when the children of Israel were bound as slaves under the oppression of Pharaoh. Okay? And there was a lamb that was slain and their blood, the lamb's blood was then painted upon the wooden doorposts of the house and God's judgment passed by and they were covered, that, that blood atoned for them. It goes to there. But then it also goes to the lamb that they would bring to the tabernacles, the tabernacle. God used this lamb over and over and over again as pictures to them that there was going to be a lamb. There was going to be a lamb and the blood was going to be shed and it was going to protect you. It was going to cover you from my judgment. It was going to be in replacement for your sin. The lamb is coming. All these lambs that they went through in the Old Testament were all pointing to the lamb. Are you understanding this? That's why when John the Baptist saw that, it was such a revelation. It was, have you ever had revelation before where it was like everything just fell into place all of a sudden? It was like pop, 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 pop. And this prophet John he sees the lamb, and then he sees all the lambs throughout the Old Testament. And he sees all the prophecies about the lamb. And he begins to understand why Jesus came. And he begins to understand who this is. And they would bring a lamb in the Old Testament to the tabernacle. Why? Because God wrote down his laws. In writing down his laws, the, the moment he wrote down the laws, he began to talk to them about the lamb. <laughs> Why? Because he knew that we were going to break those laws. He knew that we couldn't fulfill those laws. Are you understanding this? So God begins to write down his law, but at the same time, in that same conversation, just, like, just within that same period of time where God is revealing all these things to Moses, he begins to talk to him about the need for the lamb. Because he knew that we weren't in our own strength going to be able to measure up. And so what would happen was they would bring a lamb to the tabernacle as a family, a spotless lamb, because it was pointing to someone, right? A spotless lamb. And the high priests of that day and the family would come and place their hands upon that lamb. And they would confess all their sins 
and they would place all their sins upon that lamb in the confession. And I used this illustration before as well, but I want you to see it again. Remember, the Bible said here, um, where is it? I want you to see it again. I, I was reading it and I was like, oh, that's that again. Uh, all of us like sheep have gone astray. God's path sends over us. He was oppressed and treated harshly. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. As a sheep, he was silent before us. He didn't open up his mouth. I believe it's somewhere in here. It said that our sins were laid upon him. Our rebellions. Ah, it's in there. Go back and read it later. <laughs> but it's in, it's in there. It says our sins were laid upon him. That's what it was meaning. It was meaning that moment in the Old Testament where they would place their sins upon that lamb. And that lamb carried their sins. And then they would walk away and leave their sin upon the lamb. And they would go walk into their fruitful, blessed of God, relationship with God life. They wouldn't take the sin with them. They wouldn't do this. Pastor Manny did this with his coat last week. It's the same kind of idea. They don't, sometimes we do that at church or in our prayer time. We put our, we're like, Lord, we confess our sin, we lay it upon you. But then it's like we take it and we walk around with it like, like it's still between us and God or like we're still deficient in some way. My friend, this is what we're talking about today. What would life look like for you if you saw that your sin was laid upon the lamb and stayed upon the lamb and you walked away in right standing with God? as if you've never sinned, as if you were completely holy and in right standing with God, what could you ask for of God? So many times we let our sin or our feeling of unworthiness prevent us from asking what we really want to ask from God or talking to him as if we're, we're in good standing. Sometimes people still, we still talk to God as if he's far away out there or there's this wall between us. But all of that was placed upon the lamb. Are you seeing this? And so our sin was laid upon the lamb so that then we could walk and be made righteous. So that we could walk and be made righteous. What would it mean or what would it change for you today to live like someone who is not carrying your sin anymore? How would that change the way you pray? How would that change the way you believe? If you could get a revelation today that the Lamb of God has taken away your sin, that the payment of your sin has been made, Again, he was called the lamb not because of his weakness, but because of his mission and assignment. That Isaiah 53 was talking about the mission and the assignment to bear our sin, to bear the consequences of our sin, our rebellion, so that then we could be made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Amen. Behold the lamb. See him. The more I see, the more I look at Jesus as the lamb. I'm going to ask Pastor Oswe to come on out. The more I see Jesus and I behold him as the lamb, the more my faith rises about what he's accomplished. That's what today was all about in this first class of discipleship. That you would behold Jesus, the lamb of God, the powerful, mighty lamb of God, that takes away the sins of the world, but he takes away your sin first in your life. And that in seeing that, how would that change you? How does that change how I interact with God? And then I can begin to point other people to that solution. Even your own children, how your children view Jesus, right? 
the more you look at Jesus, the more you see. The more you look at Jesus, the more you see. And this whole series, the next eight weeks, we're going to look at Christ. We're going to look at Christ. We're going to look at Christ. And let that faith grow. Let that faith rise. But today is this one thing. How would seeing Jesus as the Lamb of God that takes away your sins change your life today? Thank you for listening. We hope you've been blessed by the ministry of Calvary Orlando. We invite you to join us in person at Calvary Orlando for one of our Sunday morning worship experiences each Sunday at 10.30 a.m. To find out more about Calvary, please visit our website at calvaryorlando.org. Here you can find our latest events and ministry opportunities. Thanks for listening and God bless.